Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is presented, as always, by Underdog Fantasy. I'm Josh Larkey, and you can find me on Twitter at JLarkeyTweets. J-L-A-R-K-Y Tweets. I'm the director of analytics here at PlayerProfiler.com and Roto Underworld. And, as usual for this episode, we'll have some discussion about DraftKings and FanDuel player salaries. We'll review the main slate. There's going to be an intro topic before all of that, which I think you guys will really enjoy some banter. And then we'll end with a week six hot take from each of us. And you might go, who's your friend on your shoulder, Josh? Who's the the imaginary person? Are you, what's going on here? It's okay. Mentally, I'm doing amazing. And I've got my good friend, Jacob Sanderson here this week, the first guest of First Mover. Let's bring him on and give him a proper introduction. Jacob is the lead analyst at Player Profiler. He has a weekly DFS article on playerprofiler.com, Pareto Principles. Check it out. He's the co-founder of the Dynasty Tilt podcast. And he's just an all-around sharp guy at FF underscore RTDB on Twitter. Jacob, how's it going? Yeah, I mean, I, Josh, I know after the big win, you probably wanted to get your boy, Justin Herbert, onto the show today. You had to settle for someone with the same general look, the same hair, uh, you know, not quite as good at throwing the football. But I did play a lot of Justin Herbert and DFS, so it's kind of the same thing. I'm, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be a consolation prize for you. Nice. Yeah, we, we did try and get Justin on. We had to settle. We put the jersey on, so he's here in spirit. He's not taking my calls right now. I don't know what's going on. We partnered with the Eckler Foundation. So part of proceeds from each subscription go towards the Austin Eckler Foundation. Even with that partnership, he's not returning my text messages. I don't know what to do. <laughs> if uh, if he was returning your text messages, would you have said to take a load off of targeting Mike Williams and maybe throw a touchdown to Keenan Allen? Yeah, I would have let him know that... Uh, Based on running the numbers with Keenan Allen's historical target shares, with Mike Williams' historical lack of target shares through four years, that uh, we're, we have to keep things in order. And uh, Mike Williams just, <laughs> he isn't it. If there was ever someone that was not made for the Michael Thomas role in years one through four, I would have said it was Mike Williams. And I, I'm clearly wrong. So we, we're both wearing a, a very... This is not the L that I think either of us thought we would be wearing through five weeks was Mike Williams is a top five receiver in fantasy. Yeah. I mean, 
it's it's not even enjoyable to have Mike Williams on my Scott Fishbowl team because first of all, that team mostly sucks. And second of all, I remember <laughs> being very disappointed when I drafted Mike Williams because I watched all of the wide receivers I wanted from my queue vanish towards other teams. And I was like, well, I guess I'll take Mike Williams. And then Mike Williams is like single-handedly dragging my team to respectability and, you know, I look through my best ball portfolio as I look through everything else. And Mike Williams has basically just trolled me all year with being awesome. And then it culminated in this week when I recommended Mike Williams in my column on Roto Underworld, the Pareto Principles. And then we'll talk about it, but things happened. And I systematically pulled him out of all of my Herbert lineups. And then he just owned my soul. And he, he owned my soul. <laughs> Uh, and, and it was, it's, I still haven't recovered. I may never recover from, from Mike Williams season. Yeah. It hits you hard. Uh, eight, one sixty five, two. That is not for the faint of heart. So let's just dive straight into some Sunday takeaways. So Jacob, we'll start with your takeaways. We'll go through them. Just kind of discussing how, how we, a few things we took away from all the action yesterday. Yeah. I mean, the top thing we talked about this game was, to me, just a focus on the fundamentals. Uh, if anyone checked out, frankly, if anyone read the Pareto Principles column last week, they probably had a much more profitable week than I did, frankly. Um, <laughs> but my, my favorite game was this Chargers-Browns game. And I think it's just people need to take a little bit of a step away from, I think, what feels most comfortable and really focus on the fundamentals of the game. I mean, that game in every bit was in terms of the total, in terms of the pace these teams run, and especially sort of, I talk about this in the column, but sort of the split personality of the Browns in terms of how they operate as an offense when they are leading and dominating games against inferior opponents versus how they play when they're in a back and forth game against a really effective offense. They really do have sort of two different identities. And if you look at the fundamentals of that game, it was really strong. And there was just no reason why it should have been so much less owned than especially, you know, Dallas and New York uh, and San Francisco and Arizona. I mean, the, the numbers you were able to get on pieces of this game were really quite crazy. And that was hugely successful. If, if you stack that game, you were living in luxury, as long as you, of course, had Mike Williams. But that, that wasn't the biggest takeaway for me is, is people – if you can just arbitrage these games that are super, super popular by taking games with pretty much the same fundamental inputs, uh, you're, you're going to set yourself up for success. And that's how you're going to maximize your EV in tournaments. Yeah, I think what was interesting is that there was kind of this two-week narrative really with the Browns, which I thought was so funky because going into like week three, it was all about the Browns defense. They've kind of underwhelmed. Sure enough, they smash in week three, smash in week four. But at the same time, it's like, okay, it was Fields' first start, and then it was the Vikings, who we don't even think are that special to begin with. We think they're good, but they also, like, Cook Cook gets his injury, so Madison's playing. Like, there were just a lot of reasons that we could justify that the Browns are not actually this elite defense. But for some reason, I think people just looked at the, the defense fantasy points or something, or how many sacks they had in those two weeks, and decided that there was no way Herbert could succeed. And it was, it's a beautiful thing when he's... Yeah, well, first of all, I mean, Kirk Cousins is the meatloaf of quarterbacks. <laughs> two out of three ain't bad. Like, he, he has two good games, and then the third game is usually totally terrible. And they're entirely at random. You can't predict it. But it's just that's just the Kirk Cousins experience. He, he just becomes terrible sometimes. And 
I just don't care about defense that much. Like if you give me a high total game and you give me pass friendly offenses, I know the Browns like to like to establish it, but the chargers are super high pace. They're the home team. They're very pass heavy. They get to control the tempo of that game, at least in a scenario. And we saw that play out. I, I mean, you have to be into that. I think like when, when people fade good game environments because of defense, I, I just don't really care that much. Like the, to me, the total tells me how many points are going to be scored. If the total's high, the pace is strong. The teams are interesting. They have condensed target shares. You know, I think that, that to fade it because of defensive efficiency is really a double count. Yeah, the other thing is that, yes, they're a run-heavy team, the Browns, but part of why they are run-heavy is they're so efficient on the ground. So it's not like they're grinding out clock, getting three yards of carry. This, this is a team that can run the ball just like they did yesterday. They can run the ball quite a bit and still sustain a shootout. So it just seemed like there were a lot of reasons to think that this was a good game to target. And then the icing on the cake was that everyone else had just determined Giants Cowboys was just so much better. So, all right, let's move on. Give me give me another takeaway from from Sunday. Absolutely. Uh, my my next big takeaway is that I, first of all, we should just play Brady uh, every single week in DFS lineups, and we should just play Brady plus two constantly. It's by far, I think, the best way to get access to really high projection games at pretty low ownership because he's always going to have four, maybe even five, viable stacking options. And you're just never going to get that massive ownership because either it's going to be spread out evenly between all of them or the field is going to randomly decide that it's for sure one guy's game and it probably isn't. And then you just get to take the other ones. But you're, it's, it's almost impossible for me to envision a week where Godwin, Evans, or Antonio Brown is ever prohibitive in terms of the ownership on them. Plus, you have Fournette, who can easily catch receiving touchdowns. I mean, he played more long down distance work than Giovanni Bernard did. Bernard just happened to get the receiving touchdown. Fournette easily could have been in on that play, and it could have been a 30-point game for, for Leonard Fournette. And they're going to have a tight end that they throw to. You know, Gronk might even be back this week. He'll certainly be back by the next time the Bucks are on the main slate two weeks from now. And you just have so many options. And the beauty of the, the Buccaneers, too, is they just don't care. They'll keep passing no matter what. So one of my favorite things to do with the Bucs is whenever they're a big favorite, it's kind of like the Bills last year and the Chiefs last year, where they would have these games where they were a big favorite. They had a super high implied team total of like 30-plus points. But people weren't playing them because they wanted to play the other side of the game. They didn't think that they would keep pace. And so they wanted to play these more attractive, tighter spread games. But I just don't think it applies to the Bucs because they truly don't care. They, they will keep passing. And you can just play Brady plus two. You know that all of Brady's points are going to the wide receivers. He's not stealing rushing touchdowns. I, I watched him run for a first down against Miami, and my eyes almost bled. It was so painful to watch. So so it's just such an easy double stack. And then you just pick someone from the other side. You, you just pick someone from the other side uh, that's going to get it, and someone's probably going to pay off. And, and I think that that's a really, really, really effective cornerstone for your lineups the rest of the year. Yeah, that was one of my big takeaways too, was that you just have to play Brady. And that another way to think about it, if you're like, okay, I guess Jacob, Josh, they're telling me to double stack Brady. Another really nice piece of this is that it actually gives you one less decision to make. If you just throw in Brady plus two in a run back, that's now four players out of your nine that are just set. So you have fewer places to go wrong from there, which is really nice as opposed to if you're like, oh, I really like Kyler this week. I'm going to single stack Kyler because he gets his rushing touchdowns. We don't want to double stack him. Okay, that's great. Kyler, his ceiling is probably higher than any other quarterback. Wonderful. His receiver can totally get there. A run back can totally get there. But you have only put in three of your nine pieces of the lineup. And three of nine versus four of nine, 
you're putting in over 10% more of your lineup in that's just already set at this point. Or if you're comparing three to four, it's like 33% more. Another way is like you could say directly three versus four, 33% more of your lineup gets set with correlation when you're doing a Brady double stack as opposed to another quarterback where you think it's less prudent to double stack. You go, I have to single stack them. So it's Brady's basically just free money. It seems like with. Absolutely. And I think that especially people, something people don't realize is just how much better he is of a play on DraftKings specifically because of the bonus structure. So on FanDuel, you're just getting the raw yardage and touchdowns. But on DraftKings, I mean, for, for Brady to get there, you're, you, he has to throw 300 yards. Like if he's not throwing 300 yards, it's probably unlikely that that was the nut stack to do that week just based on the way that he accumulates points. And by that token, you're almost guaranteeing that you're going to get one of the two players that you pair him with is probably also going to hit that 100-yard bonus maybe even both if you play two of the wide receivers. And so potentially, say you play you know, Brady with Evans and Antonio Brown or Godwin and Antonio Brown or Godwin and Grog. I mean, whoever, just play whoever you want. You don't, if you think you know who it's going to be that week, you don't. Um, you really don't. I mean, even this week, Godwin got the most targets and he was the ended up being the worst fantasy producer. So you're going to get potentially three points extra from Brady, potentially three points extra from the receiver, potentially even up to nine points if both the double stack options get there, you get access to on DraftKings. And that really sets you apart versus guys like Kyler and Lamar Jackson and Jalen Hurts, who they can easily get there. They're probably not getting you know, that hundred yard bonus for themselves or the 300 yard bonus for themselves passing. And they're less likely to do that for the receivers. You get access to a lot of extra points that people don't really factor in when they're just what I call phone shitting. You know, they're just sitting on their toilet and making lineups. Uh, the projection models might capture that, but the phone shitters aren't capturing it. I, I like how you said that. And yeah, that's something that I've been really pounding the table for this year is that if you are so obsessed with these mobile quarterbacks, they are better on FanDuel because the pricing structure, all the quarterbacks are much more similar in salary. There's no 300 pass yard bonus. So it all kind of kind of sets you up for you have to play a high-end Konami QB on FanDuel. And then on DraftKings, the scoring really incentivizes for quarterback play the non play the mo, play the non-mobile pocket passer who can get the 300 yard bonus. Oh, also, by the way, it's PPR. So if we know that the the Buccaneers pass a lot. And that there's going to be a lot of raw pass attempts where each completion gets you a, a fantasy point for the receiver. There are so many scoring things all working in confluence to say, hey, on this platform, you should really be double stacking these high volume pocket passers. And I don't think there's anyone that better fits that mold than Tom Brady. Like he is the quintessential DraftKings stack him with two guys type of quarterback that we have this year. And it doesn't even look honestly like anyone's close. There's no other quarterback that like no, it's Brady. Yeah, like every single week, pretty much at this point, <laughs> yeah. there have been two Brady options that get there with him. Aside from the stinker at New England, every other week, right? And the best part is, be, it's just everything just fits together. You're everything that you said about how the DraftKings pricing works, how the bonuses work, and especially how how the ownership works. Like it's just. Right, it's so much harder to get away from these chalky plays with these mobile guys because they're usually only throwing to one guy. So it's like, okay, if you want to start Hurts and Hurts is in a great spot, you're probably stacking him with Smith, or, or at least that's clearly the best projected option. If you want to start Lamar Jackson, you essentially have two options. You're either starting with Hollywood Brown or Mark Andrews, right? But Brady, it's like you have so many options that you're you're never getting into any trouble with ownership, and you can really do whatever you want. Uh, I love Brady. All right, let's talk about the the chalk of the chalk. The sidewalk chalk yesterday was yeah. Madison. 
Talk to me about yeah. how you played Madison yesterday. Yeah, I want to talk about the Madison thing. I think it's interesting. So the first takeaway from the Madison situation is that DFS people are, are just way smarter this year than they were even than last year in terms of news reaction. So I remember last year, I think it was week 15, where Ezekiel Elliott was a surprise scratch. Pretty similar spot to Dalvin Cook, where he was questionable all week. People thought he was probably going to play. The morning he comes out inactive. And Dalvin Cook was about 15% rostered in most of the larger field tournaments. Or, sorry, Tony Pollard was about 15% rostered in most larger field tournaments, despite quite obviously being the best projected play on the slate when Ezekiel Elliott was out, because people just weren't reacting. And... Madison was, I believe, 53% rostered in the slant. Um, you know, it was a little bit different in the sense that we hadn't seen Pollard at any point that year get that role, uh, you know, but we could probably be pretty confident about it. I mean, who else were they going to play? Like Rico Dowdle or whoever they had? Whereas this year, you know, we had just seen it with Madison, but still, I, I expected him to be super chalky, but I, I did not expect him to get up to 53%. I mean, that means that over half of the field in the slant, which is a massive tournament, went in between 10.30 and 12 central time, went into their DraftKings app and made a substitution because no one was playing Madison uh, you know, prior to the Cook scratch. So that's a big takeaway. And the other thing too to me is just choosing your chalk. I, I, was, I went pretty hard on Madison uh, because I just felt like he was so clearly the most secure option among those cheap running backs. Like, I mean, Damian Williams, I mean, we saw it, frankly. He paid off. Kind of, but uh, Khalil Herbert actually played more snaps than him, right? Like we hadn't seen it with Damian Williams. Uh, Leonard Fournette, I mean, he was a great play, but there's always Rojo that can occasionally get carries. He can occasionally vulture him at the goal line. Geo vultured him and, and can because he plays those long distance snaps. Uh, but with Madison, we had just seen it. We, we should be so confident. And especially when there's other chalk that ends up sort of consolidating around these softer plays, especially a wide receiver. Like LaVisca Chenault was like really chalky. He was like 15, 20% in certain contests. And I thought he was a really good play. I even played some of them. But like that seems like an easier chalk play to avoid when you're getting a wide receiver who might get just six or seven opportunities. Same with Waddle versus a Madison where he's probably an 8K running back priced at 5,500. And you can find alternative ways to get around him. And the last thing I wanted to say about Madison is just people should really think about how it affects the rest of lineups when something like that happens. Now, this ended up like killing me, but I, I still think that the process was actually good. Basically, to me, when I saw that Madison became super chalky, I felt like, okay, this is going to... Um, so I'm seeing the chat that he was 20% owned prior to the news. I, I don't think people can say definitively what he was owned prior to the news. Like we didn't actually play those contests. I I can see maybe that was some projections. I, I don't know. I'll say I have a hard time believing that that he would have been 20% owned prior to the news, but may, maybe he would have. Um, yeah, what I saw was like 10 to 15%, maybe. I saw closer to the 10% range, but either way, significantly more popular once we knew that we had a starting bell cow at 5,500 against possibly and possibly the best matchup that you could dream up this was the last thing yeah. i wanted to say is so i think people need to think about the consequences of this right so this is something i talked about in my column um i i was i looked at the slate i was like okay what are the, what immediately jumps out like if i'm building a cash light up on draftings what am i doing okay well the immediate thing that jumps out is before i knew madison was going to be a play but like damian williams super cheap seemingly a great role leonard fournette super cheap seemingly a great role damian harris even actually pretty good spot good matchup cheap then we get madison it's like, okay, that means 
tons of people are going to do two things more likely. They're going to play cheap running backs more likely, which is going to put a lot of ownership on more expensive wide receivers, more expensive tight ends. And then they're also going to be able to have more money to play Derrick Henry. And what that's going to do is basically assure that people aren't going to play anyone in the mid range at running back. So guys like Zeke, guys like Aaron Jones, guys like Nick Chubb, they're going to get like nothing. Mm -hmm. They're going to go under 10% across the board. And it's going to make more people play three running back lineups, which is going to cut the roster ship on all wide receivers, especially on wide receivers that aren't the most popular stacks. Because if you play a three running back lineup and then you're playing, you know, Dak Prescott. Okay. So now you're playing Cooper or lamb almost assuredly in one wide receiver slot. And now there's only two wide receiver slots left. (laughs) So to me, that told me like a guy like Keenan Allen, who was in a game where no one was going to play Justin Herbert. He came in like 3% owned. I mean, Allen was a smash at his price, 6,500. Didn't pay off, but I think he was a really ridiculously good projected value. But I just looked at the situation. I was like, man, people are going to spend more up for Adams. He's going to become super chalky. People aren't playing this game, so they're going to play other stacks. Like, I don't think anyone's going to play Keenan Allen. He went from a guy that I thought was going to come in about 15% ownership to a guy that came up about 8% ownership. That's why I swapped my Mike Williams to Keenan Allen. I think the process on that was sound. I, I projected the ownership accurately. Obviously, Mike Williams smashed and Keenan Allen sucked. But I, I do think that, in the future, people should look at those things and think a little bit more three-dimensionally. If this happens, how are people going to change their lineup construction? And what does that mean for other players? And like, frankly, Keenan Allen should have been higher on than he was. I think he was a great process play. It just it sucks that it didn't turn out, but I think it totally could. Yeah, I like how you walk through the process. And I think what's really important is that what the average DFS gamer is going to do is they're going to play Madison and that they're not really going to think much else about it. And what Jacob's saying is, yes, we can capitalize on that. If they're just casually going to play Madison, what does that do if now they're they're uh, if now they're they're clustering around the cheaper running backs? Okay, it's not like suddenly they only get forty thousand dollars to work with. No, they still have fifty thousand. That money has to go somewhere. Let's look at who these high price pivots are. Let's find someone slightly more in the middle. I played a lot of Keenan Allen too. It was it was actually pretty heartbreaking that the guy who's been getting all the targets. Like he he had a I think it was a five I think he had five percentage points more of target share than Mike Williams heading into this game. So like yes, Mike Williams had more fantasy points leading up to week five, but Keenan Allen was the one that was still getting peppered with targets. There was yeah, it was it was like the the ultimate good process, yeah. bad result there. And DraftKings so is a things, PPR site. <laughs> yes, so so I have a few takeaways. One of them we'll we'll talk about Chubb. Nick Chubb has to be the ultimate between the twenties grinder back who breaks every process of mine. Nick Chubb does not even get that much goal line work compared to Hunt. Like I Hunt is kind of the goal line back. I don't know if it's because Chubb had the fumble early in the season and what's going on there, but there were multiple times where Chubb is unbelievably efficient. Long runs, breaking tackles, evading tackles, gets it down to the twelve yard line, and then he's subbed out for the next four plays and Kareem Hunt scores. So I made a tweet about how I thought Chubb was this bad process pick this year because he's not even getting the red zone work. And like the whole case for him was, I think he's going to get the red zone work. And I was like, well, I think Hunt's going to get some red zone work. We know Chubb won't get the targets unless Hunt gets injured. And then it's just so tilting that the role for Chubb is worse than expected. And I already didn't think it was a great role for the round one, two turn. It's worse of a role. And he still gets there because of his absolutely bonkers efficiency between the 20s and his one breakaway touchdown. I don't know what to make of it. I still don't think he's a great play in DFS unless 
nobody's playing him and you can sneak him in as a little leverage running back and hope he breaks a couple long ones. But he he has pretty much at this point broken my processes. His touchdown rate and projections, no one's even close. No other running back. Because I know Henry scores a lot of touchdowns, but he has the volume to match it. So Chubb is like this ultimate, you can't really project the red zone work, but we have to like build in a unique, I'm going to call it like the, the Chubb run assumption where we build in that he's going to have this one or two breakaway runs every game. And he's still going to technically get there, but just not how any other running back pretty much in the history of me following DFS has ever been getting there. It's crazy. Here's my Chubb take. Uh, and it's, it's, I agree with like 75 to maybe even 90% of what, of what you're saying about Chubb. I probably play more Chubb in DFS than you do, but I, I definitely play him in a very different way than most of the field does. Like, I think the majority of the phone shitters for sure, they're only playing Chubb when Cleveland is a 10 point favorite against a run defense where when you log into your app, you see the, um, the, what's the name acronym, whatever it is, uh, in green. Right. So they're playing, they're playing at home, home against, like, against right. Detroit. So actually, we had it this year, right? They, they played against Houston this uh, in week two, right? And Nick Chubb was, I mean, on FanDuel, the, the, the FanDuel phone shitters were jamming him. And that week, like, you could not pay me money. Well, you could. You could pay me more than the entry to a DFS contest. But you, you couldn't, like, you could not hold me a gunpoint to play Nick Chubb as a 20% owned home favorite. Like there's just so many ways it goes wrong. Kareem Hunt takes so many goal line touchdowns. They could always just do a little play action rollout to one of their 16 tight ends. Uh, like there's just so many different options. When all when I like to play Chubb, and I, I approach him somewhat similarly to Henry, is especially when, when they're in a spot, in like an actual stacking spot, and especially when it's going to be at low ownership. I loved him this week for a couple of reasons. Number one was the matchup. The Chargers are one of the smartest teams in the NFL. And they just willingly allow you to run the ball. They, they will bait you to run the ball against them because they don't want to get beat deep. Brandon Staley has talked about this publicly. And the Browns are, are pretty happy to oblige. The, if, they, if the Chargers want you to establish the run, they will establish the shit out of it. And we also know that Chubb is just better than most people at football. Uh, he is possibly the best running back in football between the tackles, maybe behind Henry, but he's certainly in the top three conversation. And what I tend to like about Chubb is that he actually accumulates running back points Unlike anyone except for Henry, as a primarily two-down back that actually helps stacks get there. So, for instance, the two kinds of running backs, like, usually I like playing, like, Eckler in stacks because he also helps stacks get there. It's like, okay, the other team scores a bunch of points, and then they have to come back with Eckler. And I don't like playing Zeke, for instance, in stacks. Like, when I play Ezekiel Elliott, it's usually because I'm actually fading that game, and I want to play Zeke. And I just assume that he's going to FUD the game and it's going to be like a ground and pound game and Zeke's going to get two touchdowns and he's going to suck the life out of everybody else, right? So for instance, the Dallas Carolina week, I played a ton of Zeke uh, because I'm kind of hoping he prevents other people from scoring. With Chubb, you have to assume that the way he's going to get there is just like you said, but the Chubb run, like he probably needs a 50 yard touchdown run to get there. And he's more likely to do it than almost anybody else. But that also helps the other team because he's one of the few running backs that generates points explosively. And in fact, he needs to to get there. So I like him when he's in a spot against the Chargers where people aren't going to play a ton of him because he's not the home favorite. And I'm just going to assume that he gets the Chubb run in those lineups. And then I get to play a bunch of Chargers with it because he's going to get a 50-yard run. It's going to put the Chargers right back on the field. Hopefully they score. And you kind of get this back and forth effect with Chubb being explosive that, that I actually really enjoy. And then this week, he just happened to hit that process for me where I was like, I really want to play these mid-range running backs because nobody's going to play them because there's all these reasons not to. 
And I mean, it kind of worked. Like Chubb was awesome. He certainly did his part. Zeke was awesome. He certainly did his part. Eckler was awesome. He certainly did his part. The issue was that, you know, Henry and Madison and Fournette also all got there. Uh, and like, what were they paying up for? Devontae Adams, you know, he he scored a million points too. So the chalk got there as well. But that that's sort of where I'm at on Chubb. From season long, I, I agree. I'm I'm pretty out on Chubb. And I saw you going back and forth with folks, I, I think especially with, with Josh Norris, I believe, on Chubb is a best ball pick. And I totally agree. Like, I think he was an absolutely terrible best ball oh, pick. Oh, that was Hayden Wicks. Yes, that was yesterday. Yeah, the other underdog guy. <laughs> oh, Hayden Wicks, sorry. Yeah, Hayden, sorry. I, I got to mix that. Uh, I think Chubb is a horrendous best ball pick because you're you're basically just drafting him at his ceiling, which maybe his ceiling and his floor are actually pretty close together. I will give him that. Uh, but the issue is, like, people, he, he was saying he's poor man's Taylor, poor man's Gibson, or sorry, Taylor and Gibson are poor man's Chubb. And it turns out that's actually true. But I think it was just way easier to talk yourself into Taylor or Gibson coming off a rookie year, their role expanding to something where they're a top three pick next year than Chubb, where you're, you're pretty much just getting what you're drafting and then hoping he doesn't get hurt for him to reach that. And I think that there's ways you can build a roster around Chubb. Some people think that a low-end RB1 is more valuable than I do. And I think that those people can build really smart lineups around him. But I do think in DFS, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a different calculus than it is in season long. Yeah, you brought up a good point, actually. And I think it's something that I believe I talked about it on a code breaker at some point really randomly over the summer was that when you play like a Tannehill AJ Brown stack, you're actually allowed to put Derrick Henry in that lineup too. And that Derrick Henry and Tannehill have had several weeks where they boom together. And it's like what you said with, with we'll call it the, the Chubb run. If the 50-yard touchdown run happens, that's instant points and it helps provide a shootout environment. And that, yes, you're not really, with Zeke, he is rarely going to have two breakaway runs in a game. I don't even know if he's ever done that. Maybe like when he was a rookie, he did it at some point. But at least right now, no. Zeke is, ne- you're never, not anymore. Yeah, yeah, you're never going to put Zeke in and be like, oh, he's I'm a chain mover. him to speed up the shootout. He's going to get me a couple explosive runs. That's not who he is. So I, I think that's a good point with Chubb where he can, he can help speed that game up and that this quote unquote grinder running back actually can be conducive to the shootout environment. Now, before I move on to another takeaway, we've got Cody in the chat. He makes a good point talking about why we were playing Madison and and pounding the table for him pre-Dalvin Cook news and that it was honestly just super unfortunate. We were very excited about nobody playing Madison like two days before Sunday with the idea that Dalvin Cook has an early exit from injury and it's the Madison show because we know the bell cow role is within him. So it's super demoralizing when you think you're going to be well above the field on Madison. Dalvin Cook retweaks his ankle in the warmups. And then you go, oh, it's now Madison Chalk Week. This entire process that we thought we were very sharp about is blown out the window. So just acknowledging that it was that was tough. I'm not disagreeing with you, Cody, by the way. I just think like the reason why you guys were so excited to play Madison is because you felt like nobody would be playing them, right? Like if you if you felt like the field was going to be 20% on Madison, then I don't see why you guys would have been super heavy on him with a cook. Yeah, yeah. It was more that we were going to be like I would, I would say twenty percent own Madison with a healthy or with a playing Cook is like actually a pretty brutal play. But I totally see what you were saying if you thought he was going to be low owned and then you wanted to play him and assume that Cook would be sort of emergency only. That's awesome. Yeah, that was kind of the idea behind it. Matt did like a whole backstage pass Patreon all about the Madison play. So just of course Dalvin Cook retweaks the ankle. 
Yeah. We're actually just, as I expected, we are not doing well on time. We do have other stuff to get to. <laughs> I'm going to go through one more of my takeaways and then we're just going to keep yeah. going because as Perfect. everyone knows, uh, if you're following Jacob on Twitter, me on Twitter, like we, when we, if we start going back and forth on something, it could just go literally all day and all night. So I'll, I'll go one more. And I think, uh, it's that with shootouts, so many players can get there in DFS and I'm going to highlight two games. One of them is Chargers-Cleveland. They're about 90 points scored. I'm going to read you some stats for eight different players in this game that got there based on their DraftKings salary. Justin Herbert, 398 passing yards, four pass touchdowns, four rush attempts, 29 yards, and a touchdown on the ground. Eckler, 66 rushing yards, two touchdowns on the ground. Five for 53 through the year. One other touchdown for Eckler. Mike Williams, eight for 165 and two. Even punt play Donald Parham, two for 29 and one. Baker Mayfield, 305 yards passing, two touchdowns, two for eight on the ground. He's still flirting with almost 30 fantasy points, even though he kind of felt like an afterthought in the game. Chubb, 161 yards and a touchdown on the ground, one for nine through the year. Hunt, 61 yards on the ground two touchdowns, and five for 28 through the air. And of course, the big tilt, if there ever was one, was David Njoku, seven for 149 and one. I just listed off eight bonkers stat lines, all from the same game. And if that doesn't sell you why you're allowed to game stack, you might go, oh, there's I, there, there's no way all these guys can get there. Look at their projections. You can't fit all this together. And the idea is that, yes, if we have the Vegas game total at around 50, and we try and fit 50 points worth of touchdowns to all the players on both teams. Sure, they're going to look like shit if you put eight of them in your lineup. But I mean, realistically, if I don't remember what the salaries were in terms of making it work, you very well might have been able to fit all, I mean, you can't have Herbert and Baker, but you very well might have been able to fit seven of those eight guys in your lineup. And it would have looked atrocious and it would have gotten there. So I think it's very interesting that with these shootouts, you really have to understand that a baseline projection, you just can't, you can't use those. And that with DFS, you have to look at upside projections. You have to be aware of what happens in a shootout. In the case with this Chargers-Cleveland game was that both teams are pretty consolidated. I mean, Njoku makes us look like idiots when we say that, but... Yeah, well, and he's... Canceled. The idea is like, Eckler, yeah. I'm choosing to believe that, that Beckham had his points. Yeah, like Eckler got there... I mean, we talked about how, like how, why you might go off Mike Williams and pivot, but like the idea is like Mike Williams has had a very good role there so far this year. Herbert has been elite this year. Chubb and Hunt have both been putting up fantasy points this year. So like you could have pretty easily concocted a lineup and that, yes, you would have swung and missed if you had OBJ or Keenan Allen in those lineups, but almost everybody else got there. And that's what's so nice about these game onslaughts is that you could be pretty wrong and that as long as you give it multiple stabs, you just need like one of your five stabs at this game to be correct. And then you have a winning lineup that's hitting a massive payout in the tournament. Totally. I mean, my my highest scoring lineup this week was a Brady lineup that was stacked with, with Godwin. I didn't play Evans or Brown. I played Brady, Fournette, Godwin was the stack in it. And it was my highest scoring lineup this week. I mean, obviously, it's like a bit annoying when you see that because, yeah, man, it could have been so much better. But, right, like Brady got there huge. I mean, Godwin was not bad. It's just he happened to not score any touchdowns. You know, Fournette got there, and the, the rest of that lineup was pretty great. I, of course, the GOAT, Darius Tony, uh, carrying me. But 
that's I mean, I think it was the slant. I might be wrong, but it was a large, it was a large field tournament that someone won with Jared Cook in their lineup who like practically bageled. I think he had one catch for 26 yards or something. Uh, but they had all the rest of that game right. They had Herbert, they had Williams, uh, I believe they had Chubb. So it that's it's, you're totally right. And I talked about this in my first ever introductory uh, article before the Pareto principles is that the biggest edge in small field DFS is that people don't understand what correlation does. I mean, Josh and I both talked about correlation in best ball like all summer and we explained it in all different ways from, from Josh talking about the data and me making analogies to poetry. Uh, and basically, I mean, people always think that correlation is a ceiling raiser and it's not, it's a ceiling reacher. Like your, your actual top ceiling, like Josh said, when he was just explaining, how can all of these guys get there? Like your absolute maximum ceiling is probably not playing a super heavily correlated lineup, but it's just a lot easier to get to a really high ceiling when all of these guys correlate to each other. And that's why for some reason, DFS gamers always play these way larger game stacks and especially over stacks in these large field tournaments because they think, oh man, it's a large field tournament. I need upside. I've got to correlate. And then in small field tournaments, you'll always see these like borderline cash lineups or cash lineups with a skinny stack because people think, oh, it's a small field. I don't need as much upside. I'll just play this, this cash lineup. And that's totally the opposite. In small fields, you should be playing more over stacks. You should be game stacking more because you don't actually need as high of a ceiling. You don't need to get every single thing right. You can win some of these small field stuff with like actually one or two bad plays in your lineup, especially if you go a little bit more contrarian and the slate bends that way. So you can overstack way more because you really just want to minimize the amount of things that you have to get right in a given slate. And so I bet there was a lot of small field tournaments, one with like five player overstacks of the Tampa game and especially of the Chargers LA game. Whereas maybe if you're playing the DraftKings millionaire, you know, maybe you have to be a little bit more selective where you, you can't have a Keenan Allen in your lineup. You can't have a Jared Cook in your lineup, but people need to game stack more in general. And they, they absolutely need to consider game stacking and overstacking the smaller the field gets. Yeah, 100%. And my best lineup from week five was a Herbert lineup. It was on FanDuel. It was Herbert, Williams, Cook, and Hunt from that game. So Jared Cook, as we know, didn't get there. He had under four fantasy points. But I had Zeke and Tony correlated from that game, and they both went nuts, especially Tony. And then I had just one-off plays that I liked, that I felt like I could fit in and keep overall lineup exposure ownership to a reasonable level. And that was Devontae Adams, Najee Harris, and the Eagles defense. And if you think about it, it's like, well... Adams, Harris, Eagles defense, those are just, you just tossed those pieces in there. How could you do that? You had to correlate them. And it's like, well, in a large field, you can game onslaught and that it's not like you can't win a tournament, but you also have to be aware of what correlation can do for you. Like you said, and that I can have some correlation in my lineup and then also realize that there's a few unbelievably high ceiling plays sitting out there that I can fit into my lineup. So this lineup, even though it wasn't the full game onslaught, I finished first in a 35,000 person tournament, third in a 120,000 person tournament, and fourth in a 456,000 person tournament. And it's because there was just enough correlation that I didn't have to make too many decisions, but it's not like I had six guys from that game in there. I still recognize that at the end of the day, you have to pull from other games as well. And that's why I thought, you know what? Everyone's playing Giants, Cowboys. Yeah, it's, there's probably gonna be some points. Let's just pluck out Zeke and Tony. These are two guys that look pretty awkward in a lineup without other Giants and Cowboys guys, yet we know that Zeke can have his grinded out tons of 
rushing yards, a couple touchdowns game. And sure, Tony can get there too. He's really cheap. He's super dynamic with the ball in his hands. We know he can break a couple long plays. So it's kind of all about managing that, like you said, where if you're in a smaller field, sure. If you really like Chargers, Browns, throw six dudes in there and see what happens. But unlikely to for that specifically to be the one that truly hits in the ultra-large field contest. This is this will shock you, I know, given my personal feelings on the player. But uh, I, I feel like I, I definitely missed out on not playing more Zeke this week. Uh, and I think I just sort of got rooted to an earlier week take. And for the record, it's not like I always fade Zeke in DraftKings. Zeke was one of my most rostered running backs in the week against Carolina and in the week, whatever they did in week two. I can't remember who they played in week two. Chargers. Yeah. Chargers game, Carolina game. I was like all over Zeke. So it's not like I let my Zeke biases just write them off for DraftKings. It was more just early in the week. Zeke was projecting for me around uh, 12 to 15% ownership because I felt like people were like, okay, the Cowboys are actually run heavy now. They're this big favorite against the Giants. And I, I was sort of like, okay, actually, I think I should just probably play more Lamb than, than Zeke. And I, I sort of already hit on Aaron Jones is the running back I really want to be heavy on because everyone's going to be playing Adams because of all of these cheap running backs. It's going to allow people to play Adams. And my, my attitude on Adams and Jones is basically always just, if there's ever one guy that's way more owned than the other, you just play the other guy. Uh, and... I was really excited about that. And I definitely whiffed on that morning when I was thinking of through all these things that I was mentioning of, okay, now there's going to be more ownership going to Madison. What's that going to change? I definitely should have realized like, oh, wait, another guy is probably going to get really decked is Zeke because he was the one mid-range guy that people were really on. I was like, I bet a lot of people, I should have been way more on Zeke actually. And that would have been great because if I could have played more Zeke, that would have pushed me to more Adams, which obviously is hindsighty. But uh, I, I didn't play much Adams because I had this stake on Jones. I was like, I'm going to play Jones instead of Adams. And I played a lot of Lamb and not as much Zeke. Uh, in hindsight, for sure. If I had played more Zeke, I would have played more Adams and I probably would have made more money. Always hindsight is 2020. It's the It's so unfortunate. I had this last week. I was lamenting like a lot of stuff with DJ Moore. Shed some tears about how he has just exposed all of my wrong takes on him. But fortunately with DFS... How painful is that to have your favorite player lose you money by being yeah, awesome? Yeah, DJ Moore being possibly my most uh, rostered dynasty asset and then having none of him in seasonal leagues and also being off of him the first few weeks in DFS was the... I, I really didn't even know how to feel. Maybe queasy. <laughs> but what's nice is we can discuss this. We have the good process. We just, and we're also willing to understand what we didn't do well, what we need to improve on. And the best part of DFS is there's another week. So with that, we are just going to ax out the other part of our show sheet, talking about archetypes to target and avoid at running back receiver tight end. And rather than diving deep, because I actually think we kind of covered that with some of the stuff about like Chubb versus pass catchers. I think we should just each talk about one archetype of either a running back, receiver, or tight end that in DFS we generally want to target or avoid. So we'll do one each rapid fire, and then we will get to the week six slate. Because, I mean, Monday Night Football, it's coming up fast. Jacob, where do you want to go with this? Is there give me Give me a nice little running back, receiver, or tight end take. What do you want the people to remember before we dive into the next week? Yeah, I mean, the, the number one 
I think the number one archetype of any player that you should just never play in DFS is basically a home favorite two down running back. Uh, and like maybe there's an exception for Derrick Henry, uh, especially since he actually catches passes now. But especially when you get to like the second tier, uh, when you get, you know, not the Henry, but you get into like the Jacobs or the Carson or the um, uh, James Robinson or whoever these guys, right? Whenever, whenever people want to play a lot of those guys, when they're, which is when they're home favorites, you'll, you will just never find me with them in any sort of lineup because there are so many paths to failure with these type of running backs. I mean, you're basically betting on them to get two touchdowns, first of all, because what people don't realize is just how much of a ceiling you actually need from these running back slots. Like people are going to go bonkers for points and people also get too hooked onto value versus raw points. So let's like actually talk through the math. If you have a $6,000 running back that gets you 20 points, a lot of people think that that's awesome. And in cash games, that is absolutely unequivocally awesome. However, in tournaments, you have to know that there's probably a seven to eight to nine K running back who might get you 30. And so you have to make up those 10 points elsewhere. You have to make up those 10 points at wide receiver. So your more expensive wide receiver now has to beat their mid-range wide receiver by like 10 points. That's not actually that easy to do. You're already kind of putting yourself in a hole because that higher price running back that probably a lot of people have, some of those lineups are going to hit on whatever mid-range wide receiver gets a hundred yard bonus, gets 30 points, right? And then you also have to think, okay, can a running back be from behind? And probably somebody will because 20 points isn't actually all that much, especially when you get into 100 yard bonuses. So the only way you're really getting it done with that running back is if they score two touchdowns and they get like 120 yards, then you get into the bonus. Okay, now maybe you're approaching 30 to the point where they're still pretty darn good, but you really don't like absolutely have to have them in your lineup. And that's if everything goes perfect. And the problem is there's still so much that can go wrong. When you're so dependent on touchdowns to get there, you can get vultured at the goal line. What if the team gets a defensive touchdown? What, what if they just pass the ball into the end zone? Or what if you actually don't end up winning the game? What if, what if you give up a defensive touchdown and all of a sudden you're down seven, nothing like immediately. There's just so many different paths to failure that playing those guys whose ownership is so fragilely connected to game script falling perfectly their way and touchdown variants falling perfectly their way just makes no sense. So it's not that I'll never play two down grinder running backs. I don't do it very often, but I will if they're not owned and I'm sort of hoping that the fragility works backwards. I will never roster those guys when they're heavily owned in favorable spots. Just never. Yeah, I think you make perfect points there. One archetype, we kind of talked about this pre-show is with tight end, that unless you're going for the Kelsey, the Waller, some of these, there's only, there's a very select few tight ends that can truly break a slate and get you like the 15 targets, 150 yards, one or two touchdowns. And that you really want to stay out of the middle unless you think that the guy has slate breaking upside. And we talked about that with Goddard versus Ertz and that Goddard is 1,000 to 1,500 more expensive than Ertz. Do we think Goddard has this 150 yard, one to two touchdown game in him? No, that's not really in his range of outcomes. So if you're if you're just locking up 5K on a tight end whose ceiling isn't even any higher than the 3K punt play who could fall into the end zone twice and score just as many points, if not more than Goddard, what leverage are you getting here when you're just wasting salary without actually even expanding your ceiling? And I think that's something that I see so many people do is, yes, if you're going to play Hurts, maybe there's a case where 
he throws two touchdowns to Goddard and you got there and at least you were correlated. But when you see these people playing these mid-price tight ends without any correlation at all and they just throw it in there, it goes, like, don't you realize that I can just play Jared Cook or Tyler Conklin or Mo Alley Cox? Like the list just goes on of these tight ends that we've seen just casually hit 20 fantasy points randomly. And it's like, well, you know what? Yes, it's not. Maybe Goddard is a touch more likely to do it. But at the same time, if we don't really think that this tight end has the ceiling, it's like what, what you mentioned, Jacob, where you go, okay, this running back, yeah, they got you 20 points. Great. Do you think there's a chance that there's one or two running backs cheaper that also got there? Probably. And that's the same case with these tight ends is that unless you're going for the Kelsey or the Waller who can get you 35 fantasy points and break the slate where no matter what you did, you shouldn't have punted tight end. Unless that's the case, just stay out of the middle. Play the cheap correlated tight end with your quarterback or play the punt play like the we both liked Ricky Seals Jones this week. Just play a punt play who's going to get you some type of usage. Turned out his usage was like even better than a lot of those mid-priced tight ends anyway. So why are you why are you in the middle to begin with? <laughs> yeah. Runs twice as many routes as Goddard. <laughs> it's like four times as many routes as Johnny Smith. Yeah, some of those tight ends are absolute head scratchers. Yeah, just, I mean, you have to think about how event-driven it is, right? Like, the more the more event-driven a position is, the more variance-induced it is, right? So at running back, it's a little bit less so. Running back, probably a function of 20 to 25 touches. Quarterback, way less so. It's probably a function of 35 to 40 pass attempts. You know, wide receiver, especially at the low end at wide receiver, you're probably looking at, like, five targets. Tight end, often you're looking at three or four targets in these cheap tight ends. The less events there are, the, the less sense it makes to go away from correlated. Like if you're just playing cheap punt wide receivers and tight ends, they should almost always be correlated because at that point, you're not really prioritizing what you think they'll do. So you may as well just benefit from whatever they do, helping the rest of your lineup. Like if I'm playing a punt wide receiver, it's almost always like a guy who runs four, three as the secondary stack to my quarterback, because I just think, man, wouldn't it be nice if this guy scores a 70 yard touchdown. And then not only do I get it in my lineup, but now it puts the rest of my stack back on the field and it speeds out the game. And, and people often, you know, most of the time it doesn't happen. And then you look at your lineup. It's like, man, why did I play Dawson Knox this week? But I guarantee you the week that you do play Dawson Knox and it goes up, that's the week that the best things are going to happen anyways for your lineup, because it's going to help the rest of your lineup by getting that extra touchdown in there. Let's move on to week six now. All right, we we got there, folks. Monday Night Football is in 25 minutes. I think <laughs> we're going to sneak it in. <laughs> on DraftKings at quarterback, at the very top, we have Patrick Mahomes at 8,300 at Washington. I think we both think he's in play. Mahomes should generally be in every week play to begin with. This is If there was ever a, a game that was a get-right game for Mahomes, it's kind of the, the feckless Washington defense. So we can move on from him. Another quarterback that I really like is you are, I give you permission, you can just go back to Herbert. I really hope that the defense narrative once again suppresses how many people play him because he's at Baltimore and they're going to be like, oh man, you, that's a brutal, <laughs> brutal environment. Especially after they sack Wentz like eight yes, times. Yes, that's today. exactly. It's like Cleveland when it's like, okay, so we were terrified of them because they sacked Fields eight times. Really? That you... Are we even trying to compare Fields and Herbert in what those offenses and play callers look like? Really? So yeah, I hope Carson Wentz just is running all over the place, taking hits, and people go, you know... You mean hobbling all over the place? You know, Herbert was great last (laughs) week, but don't you realize that he was due and he hit it 
Now he's not going to have, you can't have back-to-back ceiling games. So I hope all this happens. Herbert, 7,300 on DraftKings at Baltimore. Love that play. I've got the jersey on. He won me money this past week. We're going to do it again. Who are a couple guys that you that caught your eye on on FanDuel for quarter, or for DraftKings for quarterback? Yeah, I mean, my favorite guy this week is probably Joe Burrow. The Bengals have slowly over the last two weeks gotten more pass heavy, and it makes a lot of sense. They had this quarterback coming in off a super significant injury. They wanted to ease him back in. They're getting more pass heavy all of a sudden. Their running back situation is still quite up in the air. Joe Mixon is still nursing an injury. They played a lot of P Ryan last week. We'll see how that sorts out. They now have all three other wide receivers back and healthy and they get a Lions defense that will pretty much allow you to beat them in any way you so choose. What I also love about that is you get an opportunity to have a really nice clean stack. You get to play Joe Burrow. We know he's not making a lot of points up on the ground. So it's kind of like a Brady light situation. You get the really cheap version of the Bucks. You get to play Burrow. You get to pick two of his pass catchers. T Higgins is absurdly cheap this week. I'm sure we'll talk about him, the wide receiver. And, and I know you get to do a bring back that I, I, uh, we, that is a shared love of Josh and I can, can I talk about a running back really quick since it's related? Yeah, you're allowed. I know I'm able to talk about this running back because this is like Josh and I's shared love of our lives. Uh, DeAndre Swift is in such a great spot this week. He's he's hit over 70% snaps the last two weeks. That's what we've wanted to see. We've seen the uptick. He's running over 70% of routes for the last two weeks. And shout out to my buddy that I podcast with every Wednesday night, Chase Vernon, who does the dose score, the dump off containment efficiency of each team. The Cincinnati Bengals ranked 29th in the league in dump-off containment efficiency. They gave up tons of points to pass-catching running backs every single week. They made A.J. Dillon look like he was Austin Eckler out there on the field in that game. Uh, I expect the Andre Swift to catch a ton of balls. You play Burrow, you play Higgins, you play Chase. You hope that they go and catch a bunch of points up on the board, hanging it through the air, and then Swift comes back with like 10 receptions. There's your triple stack. You get all the cats in there. I love it. I very well might be playing lineups that look and sound a whole lot like that this week. A couple other names to be on your radar. Lamar, 7,400 versus the Chargers. And then Hineke, which is, he's 5,800 versus Kansas City. I've said it before, I'll say it again. You want to target these quarterbacks that are going to be facing other strong offenses like the Chiefs, where the Chiefs' defense isn't anything like the offense. It's the same reason that we love Brady in terms of like the game environment he sets. It's like not only are you getting Brady, with two options that you can just throw in a stack and you bring him back, but you know whoever's facing the Buccaneers, they can't run against them. And they probably won't want to run against them even if they could because they're going to be trailing. Do we think the Chiefs are probably going to blow out the the football team? Yeah, it's most like they are, (laughs) after what's happened, they're two and three. They, They are going to be pissed off. They're going to put up a lot of points in Hineke, is going to drop back to pass a lot. He's a Konami quarterback. He's going to get you those rushing yards. He's probably going to get you a decent amount of passing yards. And hey, we're we're not going off efficiency. He's probably going to be horribly inefficient if all he's doing is just playing YOLO ball out there. But that's all right. The fantasy point should come. So another good option there. Hit us with one more quarterback and then I will quickly touch on FanDuel. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, I would never want to do anything to keep you away from FanDuel. But my last quarterback is going to be Sam Darnold. Uh, Slinging Sammy Darnold finally turned back into a pumpkin last week, just in time for Halloween. 
And my hope is that people overreact to that a little bit. They say, okay, we thought Sam Darnold sucked, and now it's finally going in a downward spiral. Uh, Sam Darnold could very well suck, but he has been running the ball so much. They, they've even had designed runs at time for him up near the goal line. That's still going to be in the mix for him. Minnesota's defense is absolutely nothing to fear. Uh, and, and I think you can definitely return to skinny stacks of Sam Darnold and DJ Moore again this week. I think this game might fly a little bit under radar. People might feel a little bit burned by Sam Darnold. If you can get Darnold and Moore in there in a nice little skinny stack, you have many options to bring up back with from Minnesota. Jefferson is the crusher of worlds. I bet people are probably uh, tired of feeling because they think touchdown regression has finally hit in. And then, of course, you know, we'll see what happens with that backfield. Maybe we get Madison Chalk Week again. Maybe we get Cook returning off an injury. Probably people aren't going to want to play him because they've been burned the last couple times. Uh, Cody's saying Minnesota's defense is nothing to fear. I don't know, Cody. I, I, I don't think that they're all that fearsome to me, but I, I apologize to you. I don't know. Josh, do you fear the Minnesota defense? Um, were I out on the field? Uh, all 160 pounds of me, yes. <laughs> if I were built yes. like a, a Greek god, like most of these <laughs> running backs are, no, I probably wouldn't be particularly nervous. <laughs> all right, FanDuel quarterback. We got Mahomes 9K at the top. The guy that caught my eye, it's what we've been talking about. These mobile quarterbacks do a lot better on FanDuel. I really like Kyler Murray 8,400 at Cleveland. We already saw that Cleveland's defense can be exposed. And I mean, what... When now that Kyler it it's cooled a little bit, he's no longer by far the most expensive quarterback. He hasn't looked amazing the last couple of weeks. Perfect. We're gonna be playing some Kyler on FanDuel. Moving on to running back, we'll start with DraftKings. CMC should be back this week. He's at the very top at 8,800 against Minnesota. It's going to be really hard not to play a decent dose of McCaffrey when I mean anytime he's under like 9,500 on DraftKings, you have to just cram that guy in. So McCaffrey looks good. A few other running backs that I like, Zeke 7,100 at New England. He's just been so unstoppable. This whole offense has been rolling. And right now he looks like a nice kind of mid-price guy there. We'll see how how much people are interested in that game. But I think Zeke won't be too popular just because it's kind of a gross game. Dallas at New England. Uh, JT 6,600 against Houston. It's probably going to be chalk. We'll see what happens tonight in... 20 minutes, but JT 6,600 tentatively looks good. Ho- hopefully it goes poorly. Yes, if you hopefully play he totally sputters out. I want him to get vultured at the goal line by Naheem Hines tonight, just so we can or play Or Marlon him. Mack. Yeah, or Marlon Mack and his extended showcase. <laughs> uh, one guy that I will mention, I believe Devontae Booker, 5,400. Fake free square. They're facing the Rams... They might be yeah, without Daniel Jones as well. This offense could be atrocious. And I think people are going to be like, oh, it's okay. He's a pass catching back. No, no, no. no. Right here. If he is getting you no touchdowns and 20 yards on the ground, think about what he's going to have to do through the air to make a difference. It's The uphill battle is so immense. And if you're going to look for that kind of guy, just go down to Daryl Williams at 4,900. He had five targets yesterday. In relief of CEH. So Daryl Williams' role is actually like not half bad. And if you're going to play the punt running back who's less talented but projects for volume, I would much rather go Daryl Williams than Booker. Who else do you have your eye on at running back? Yeah, I mean, I named my DFS show every Saturday, No Free Squares, exactly for weeks like Devontae Booker. Uh, I have no interest in playing Devontae Booker whatsoever. 
they only roster two running backs on game days, essentially, and their fullback, Elijah Penny. His workload this week is probably not going to be replicated when they actually have a full week to make a game plan. Expect some Gary Brightwell action on the field this Sunday. Uh, Devontae Booker is, is he, he was terrible last year when we played Devontae Booker as a free square for the Raiders against the Jets. He's definitely going to be terrible this year on a worse team going against the Rams. So out on Devontae Booker. My favorite running back play this week, he'll probably be chalky, uh, but I think it's chalk I'm actually okay swallowing, is Daryl Henderson. Uh, I have been uh, very much enjoying Daryl Henderson. I know Josh uh, has not been enjoying it quite as much, but uh, I mean, I look, I, we both loved Cam Akers very equally. When Cam Akers went down, some of us coped. We moved on. We grabbed the new bell cow in Los Angeles. And Darrell Henderson's workload has been absolutely beautiful every single week that he's been healthy. I think maybe he won't be quite as chalky this week because he got injured on a drive and then they randomly gave Sony Michelle like nine carries. But when he was healthy, he was still the clear bell cow over Michelle. They get a Giants team that just got ripped to the tune of about 220 yards by Zeke and Pollard this week. And I definitely uh, have full confidence in Henderson this week. And then I already talked about Swift as, as my other favorite running back in that mid-range. Yeah, I mean, how can we not love Swift? The price tag refuses to go up. The The DraftKings employees have just... Because Scott Hansen is, is setting the prices who called him a utility back. Yeah, the, the Swift disrespect, <laughs> I mean... There is no better duo than Swift in these 20 fantasy point games where everyone's like, oh, he's not getting enough touch. He's not getting enough usage. But he's never owned. He's always yeah. like 9% rostered. You can just pencil him in every week. He's like 9% rostered at 6K. That's It's every week. Yeah, what I'm convinced is that from my research and just playing a lot of DraftKings, their prices are very much ownership driven. So if people just never play Swift, no matter what his fantasy point output is, until people play him, the salary is suppressed. And it kind of helps me remember, okay, no one's playing him every single week. That's why it never goes up. Just another great play. FanDuel, McCaffrey's at the very top, 10K, priced up. And I love DeAndre Swift, 7,100. I mean, it's every every week is Swift week. I will say the one frustrating part about FanDuel, Daryl Williams, 5,200. So if you literally want high-priced studs, if you want to go three elite receivers and Kelsey, you can easily do that with a starting running back in Daryl Williams. All I put on the show sheet was, damn it, in all caps, that we have Daryl Williams that cheap. It It's really unfortunate with the, with the pay structure on FanDuel that you could literally just put in the highest-priced guy at every other position and make it work with him at running back. So real head-scratcher. God, whenever you can play a four-seven-two running back, uh, you got to do it. Yeah, seriously. I mean, it's FanDuel. Touchdowns are all that matters on that platform, and Daryl <laughs> Williams could easily yeah. fall into the end zone twice. Cannot, cannot wait for Daryl Williams to have 14 carries for 32 yards, five catches for 16 yards, and two touchdowns. And then just totally smash on FanDuel. <laughs> Moving <laughs> yeah, on to receiver, absolutely. DraftKings at the very top, we have Devontae Adams, they rectified their wrongs. He was below 8K a couple of these weeks recently. They And they realized, you know what? What what have we done? He has his explosive game. He, salary went up. He's at the top at 9K at Chicago. A few other receivers I like, and I'm sure Jacob likes this guy as well. I mean, Jamar Chase, every week, just like every week is Swift week, it seems like every week's going to be Jamar Chase week. I love that he's priced up at 6,700. Hopefully that turns some people off to him. 
Keenan Allen's salary won't budge. 6,400 coming off a dud. Hopefully some people are angry about that. Got to lock him in again. Uh, a couple of cheaper options that I'm interested in. Darnell Mooney. Still not quite clear that Robinson is the number one in Chicago based on usage and just fantasy production. So Darnell Mooney, 4,300 is kind of interesting because you need salary relief somewhere. I still like Nelson Aguilar. He's 4K. He's been running the routes. He's out there for a lot of the snaps. They're facing Dallas. They're going to have to throw, hopefully, in the Chris Hogan role. Yeah, hopefully uh, Diggs is matched up against Jacoby Myers. So Sorry, I'm not that excited about Nelson Aguilar, but I'm very excited about Raphael Devers hitting a 3 on homer. <laughs> yeah, for all of you out there that don't know what he's talking about, that's a sport that we like to call baseball. <laughs> good good for Devers. Got it on in the background. That Yeah. Sorry about that. Why would you ever be on a DFS show if you're not watching playoff baseball in the background, right? I mean, that's everyone's loss if that's not how you do a DFS show. <laughs> of course. So I like Aglor 4K. I still think there's hope for him if you want relief. And then one more guy I'll mention in that inexpensive range, Van Jefferson, 3,400. Oh my goodness. I mean, the what what are they doing with Van Jefferson? They're, it's almost like they looked at my rookie wide receiver model and they decided we will never price up Van Jefferson no matter what happens. And I'm here to tell you, I'm not take locked. I like Van Jefferson this year. You're allowed to play some 3,400 Jefferson. Jacob, talk to us. Give us a few receivers on DraftKings you like. Uh, I agree with every single one that you said, except Nelson Aguilar. I'm not quite that much of a masochist, but uh, you you have fun with that. Um, I, uh, I couldn't agree more on Van Jefferson. I mean, I'm on record stating that I thought Van Jefferson was the worst day two pick of the 2010s decade. Uh, and I've been playing him every single week since week two on DraftKings because he runs all the routes. He actually gets a somewhat decent amount of targets and especially he gets deep targets and he gets red zone targets. He's way underpriced. Uh, in the 3000s every single week. Uh, and I mean, I was all over him at 3,900 when he's playing against Cardinals. I'm certainly all over him at 3,400. So ban the man. Uh, other guys that I'm into this week, you mentioned Jamar Chase, and I'm certainly into Jamar Chase, but I'm also into his teammate, T. Higgins. He's all the way down at 5,300. Ooh, say that one more time. What? One more time. What is T. Higgins' salary? This is 5,300 against the Lions. Jamar Chase had the better role last week, but if you look overall at the three games of Chase and Higgins, the roles are pretty equal. They're just not 1,400 apart in terms of players if you take the games that they actually all played healthy. I don't think that T. Higgins is going to be that chalky this week. He was super chalky this week. People hated their lives. We kind of saw this happen with Robert Woods and Cooper Cup, where you had the guy who was chalky that was cheaper. Then he disappointed. People went more towards Cup. We saw this happen uh, on a few different occasions this year. I, I don't think Higgins is going to be that crazy chalk this week, especially in a game that I don't think is going to be super chalky. So I, I'm all about going back to the well on T. Higgins. Uh, I hate myself for saying this, but I'm, I'm pretty into Odell Beckham again. Uh, he's still running all the routes. In two of the three games since he's returned this year, he's had a really, really strong role. It just hasn't quite equated to the fantasy production. He's in one of the highest total games on the slate at 50 and a half. Uh, and he's not going to probably be played. He was only 1.9% last week, and then he sucked. So I don't think people are going to stick with him that much on the price drop. Let's get disappointed again by Odell Beckham. And the last guy I wanted to talk about is in that same game, Rondell Moore, for the first time this season, ran more routes than Christian Kirk. We can no longer call him a total luck box. He's at $4,600. He gets rushing attempts on occasion. He gets deep work now all of a sudden. He 
got the biggest role that he's had this entire season, and he was one of the best players on the field. I think his role continues to expand uh, the expense of Christian Kirk, and I'm definitely into Rondell Moore. Yeah, like all those guys. Well, we are really up against the clock. FanDuel, Tyreek Hill at the very top, 8,700 at Washington. You have to play Tyreek Hill every week on FanDuel. You just have to do it. He can get you those two to three touchdowns and break the slate. Receiver I like might surprise some people. Henry Ruggs, he's only 5,500 on FanDuel at Denver. Yeah, and that's like that's a nice little it's a nice little FanDuel play. I mean, long touchdown will will get him there on FanDuel. 5,500 is so cheap for that platform, and the guy's just racking up 50 plus yards in every game at this point. So I know he was terrible as a rookie, but looking significantly less terrible this year. Price is still way down. He's interesting. Tight end DraftKings. At the very top, gave us just a great honor in Travis Kelsey all the way down at 7,000. He's just been flirting with the 8K range all season. They drop him to 7K against Washington this week. This, if there was ever... The- Even Adam Troutman had a, had a couple big plays against Washington, and he's basically a right tackle. Yeah, if you wanted a, the slate-breaking tight end in Kelsey, but you were like, oh, 8,200 each week. Oh, I just can't stomach 8,000. Can you stomach 7,000? Because that's what he's at right now. Basically the same price as Waller. Waller's at Denver. Worst matchup, 6,600. So they're they're essentially the same price. I'll be playing a little Waller, but I mean, how can... It's hard to get me off of Kelsey at 7K. And then one other tight end I really like, Jared Cook. Perfect. He disappointed in week five, but he was running the routes. He was on the field. Parham just happened to get the touchdown. Jared Cook, 3,200 continues to be the elite punt play tight end who else are you looking at jacob yeah i mean i'm so mad at jared cook because i've played him so heavily every single week and the only week he went off was of course when he was off the main slate uh so (laughs) he's very aggravating however i'm into we mentioned ricky seals jones he ran almost every single route last week he got eight targets Washington just seems to be an exception to the targets are earned rule at tight end where it doesn't matter who they get. They just pluck athletic dudes who have never done anything anywhere else. They let them run all of the routes and then they target them relentlessly. So whether it's Ricky Seals Jones, Logan Thomas, uh, I don't know, potentially washed up Olympic sprinters, just put them in your lineup and they're going to be just fine. He's only at 3000. Uh, I'm into Hunter Henry. I've been into Hunter Henry all season. It feels kind of gross, but his role is actually quite good. He's seen between five and seven targets in every game this season. He's running almost three times as many routes as Johnny Smith, and he's in a game where they're certainly going to have to throw against Dallas, who's going to pile up points on them this week, and he's just 3,900. The last guy I will mention as a cheat play is Cole Komet. He's actually been running 80% of the routes since Justin Fields took over. The issue is they're just not passing at all. I think they'll have to pass more this week against Green Bay, who should be able to put up points on them against after two just weeks against the Lions and the Raiders, who did nothing on offense. Uh, I'm into Cole Komet this week at just $2,800, where really all you need is a touchdown or a couple big plays. And this Green Bay pass defense has become a lot more susceptible since the loss of Alexander. Uh, that's it. I all, all my tight ends going discount shopping because I, I totally agree with you on, on Kelsey and Wall. FanDuel, Kelsey, priced up as always, 8500 at the top. And then uh, the other best play for not going Kelsey, I think it's still probably just Jared Cook, 5400 on FanDuel. Can't get enough of him. Defense, special teams, Rams at the top on both platforms. 4700 on DraftKings against the Giants. It might not be Daniel Jones, but still 4700 It's just so tough to stomach when salary is already tight on DraftKings. And you can get them for 5 k on FanDuel. If you really want the Rams, play them on FanDuel. 
The the cheap defense on both platforms that I like is the Browns, 2,600 on DraftKings, 3,600 on FanDuel. They face Arizona. Kyler Murray, we talked about this a little bit pre-show. This guy takes sacks like no other. He's still not necessarily one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. He just has had a lot of touchdowns this year. We could see the stinker from him. The Browns defense is not a bad defense. Like this, this is a defense that's capable of a lot of sacks, some interceptions. Miles Garrett can have a nice little strip sack. They were done it back for a touchdown. You, it's hard to do a lot worse than 2,600 Browns on DraftKings. Now let's turn to the main slate. Sorry, folks, we are not going to finish just in time for Monday Night Football. If you miss the opening kickoff, I'm sorry. And if you tune out before the opening kickoff, it's okay. There's the podcast version, Roto Underworld podcast feed. It'll be up there either tonight or tomorrow morning. On to the main slate. We've got 10 games this week, a couple teams on bye. I'm going to run through these games. And Jacob, you're going to let me know when there's a game that you have some takes on that you're targeting. The first game, Houston at Indy. The Colts are 10-point favorites. The game totals a paltry 43 I don't really have much interest. Do you have any interest in this game? Or is this one of the games where we just kind of move on and maybe there's an individual play or two? Yeah, I'll play Taylor depending on the ownership projection. And I'm actually probably into correlating in with Cooks, especially if he is chalky. Cooks has sucked the last two weeks, but he's had much harder matchups. Uh, this, I mean, the Indy secondary is a total joke. Everybody's injured. They've just been hemorrhaging points up to whoever wants them. They, they don't have the capacity to cover Cooks. So I'll probably do some Taylor Cooks. Yeah, I think that's one of the, that's gonna be like a nice little sneaky, skinny correlation of the week will be Cooks-Taylor. Agree with that. Especially like all this decimated secondary zone coverage. Cooks can just do. Won't be playing Chris Moore. <laughs> Next game up, Green Bay at Chicago. Chicago, four and a half point home underdogs 45 and a half game total another game i'm not super interested in just the the packers are just so slow paced like even when their offense has a good day like yesterday it's still just such an uphill battle in dfs for expensive rogers and i mean adam's so priced up this week not the best game total fields is banged up and probably playing but will be hampered not really a game i'm interested in do you have any takes on this one yeah, I, I like Komet because he's super cheap. And I think that the that the Bears will have to pass more than like the 20 times they've been doing in Fields' first two starts. But it's it's I don't even know if I'll have any Robinson or Mooney. I don't think I'm going to be playing the Packers aggressively. It's a gross game. All right, now we're going to get to some good games. Here we go. I know we, we weathered the storm in those first two. Kansas City at Washington. Washington, six and a half point underdogs at home. Whopping 54 and a half point game total. I think we both have some takes on this one. Jacob, are you are you gonna you gonna play any anyone from this game? We gonna we're gonna stack this game? Oh yeah. I'll play everybody from this game. Highest hole on the slate. Uh, I tend to love when the Chiefs are massive favorites because even when they are owned, and they'll be owned this week. I think similar to the game against Philly, they tend to be under-owned for what they should be when they're massive favorites because people don't think there's gonna be that back and forth element. I definitely am into everybody on the Chiefs, and even into Hardman at $4,200. He's coming off one of the best usage games of his entire career on Sunday night against the Bills. He just didn't score, so I don't think he'll be all that owned. But the thing is, his points usually come in bunches, so he helps the whole game script if he does end up paying off. And Terry McLaurin is just in such an unbelievably good smash spot here. I think that his ownership won't be too insane because people are probably going to play a lot of Tyreek Hill. It's going to be hard to afford both Hill and McLaurin. Uh, and then... You're going to get people on Ricky Seals-Jones as the really cheap ring back of Senna McLaurin. 
Curtis Samuel re-aggravated his groin. It's looking like a bit of a lost season. Deami Brown is still injured. Cam Sims is Cam Sims. Adam Humphreys is Adam Humphreys. Uh, I expect a lot of Terry McLaurin against an absolutely rancid secondary. Uh, if you want to know what the chief secondary, just look up the picture of Daniel Sorensen constantly getting lost in coverage and Teron Matthew going like this. That's just the <laughs> chief secondary this year. So you brought up a good point, actually. It's a little tough to afford. If you're going Hill, how can you afford McLaurin? I think a sneaky way to play this game is Mahomes, Hill, McLaurin, and throw Daryl Williams in there as well. He's cheap. Mm. I don't think people are going to be playing him with Mahomes at all. And the guy had five targets once CEH was out yesterday. There could be some weird role where... More than CEH ever gets. (laughs) Yeah, CEH doesn't get this role. I don't know what's going on, but they are just allergic to feeding Alaire in the passing game. Maybe they're not with Darrell Williams, and he's also cheap enough that if he just falls into the end zone and gets you some rushing yards and a few targets, he can get you 22, 23 fantasy points at a reasonable salary, allowing you to afford Mahomes, Hill, and McLaurin, who have these astronomical ceilings. So I think that's kind of a unique way to play this, where you go, you know what? We saw the Buccaneers do it yesterday. They, they just put up 45 points on a hopeless opponent, and they say, you know what? We don't even feel bad. We're going to keep scoring. Chiefs could easily do that, and Darrell Williams gets there, and Mahomes still has his four or five touchdown game and gets there as well. So that's kind of a weird but uh, correlated way to play that game and sneak in the studs. Next up, Minnesota at Carolina. Carolina, one-point favorite is what I saw. Very even. 47-point game total. I think this one's pretty interesting, actually. There's, There's a lot of viable players here. What are you looking at with this game right now, if anything? Yeah, I like this game. I, I like that it's condensed target trees. You know where Sam Darnold's throwing. It's pretty much just only to DJ Moore. Uh, you know where Kirk Cousins is throwing. It's mostly just to Jefferson Jefferson and then, uh, you know, a bit to Thielen. And it's kind of, we'll see what the running back situation is for Minnesota. But I like that it's condensed target trees. I think both defenses are good. But I don't think that Carolina's defense is quite as good as the market thinks. And, and I think Minnesota's defense is mostly average. Uh, I think it sets up well. I like the close spread. You could see it going back and forth towards the end of this game. Uh, I'm, I'm probably more interested in playing Darnold because of the rushing equity than I am Kirk Cousins. But overall, I, I'm into this game. Yeah, Sam. And, and if you really think the, the Panthers are this truly vaunted defense, you should look at that uh, Cowboys game and see what happened. Because this is a team that they, they're allowed to give up a ton of fantasy points. I know the, the Panthers... They came out hot. Their schedule was also ridiculously easy. And they played the Jets and the Texans. Yeah. I mean, what, <laughs> do you, what did you expect an above-average defense to do against them? They're above-average. They're, they're good. But, again, this we're not dealing with the Jets, the Texans. This is the Minnesota Vikings that might get Dalvin Cook back. This is a pretty good offense. Could be a shootout. Next up, love this game. Chargers at Ravens. Ravens, three-and-a-half-point home favorites. 50 and a half game total. I mean, I don't even know if we need to say too much. I think we like pretty much every angle of this game. Yeah, absolutely my favorite game on the slate. Marquise Brown is ridiculously underpriced at $5,900. It's probably Rashad Bateman's first game back. My hope is that people think he's going to be a major force. I love Rashad Bateman. I wrote a glowing article about Rashad Bateman, but in his first game back, he's not a big threat to Marquise Brown's role. Uh, and so I'm into Brown probably more than anybody on the Ravens side, but I'm going to play all sorts of iterations of this stack. Uh, I think you can definitely fire up Eckler, Mike Williams, maybe, even though that price is pretty absurd. Keenan Allen, Jared Cook, Andrews, whole gang, both quarterbacks. Let's go. 
Love it. Next up, this one I think is kind of interesting. And I realized, one second, I didn't write down the game total of this one. Whoops. Let's pull it up. All right, we've got Bengals at the Lions. Bengals, three and a half point road favorites. There it is. 48 point, decent game total on this one. And I think this game's kind of sneaky interesting. Yeah, it's my favorite game uh, in terms of probably the one I'll play the most of. Uh, my, my Whatever my highest stakes single entry lineup will probably be a Joe Burrow lineup. Uh, I think that this game is not that far behind the top games. I don't expect it to attract a ton of ownership. I, I love the Lions because you know where the ball is going. Swift is always going to get a lot of targets. He's going to get high leverage opportunities. Hawkinson's been pretty disappointing lately, but I'm, I'm open to going back to him in spots. And Amon Ross St. Brown, who I think probably has the most raw talent of this wide receiver core, is finally running the most routes in this group. So I'm, I'm open to playing him at $4,200. And the Bengals, I mean, we know what to do with the Bengals. Uh, pick the two wide receivers, probably not Boyd because he's just a little bit gross for DFS because he's an accumulator. You ideally want Chase and you want Higgins who are going to be able to hopefully provide those spark plays that thrust this game into a shootout. I think I tend to avoid Boyd in tournaments uh, as an archetype just because usually the biggest Boyd games are not all that fun DFS games because it's like 11 catches for 86 yards on slow lethargic drives. Yeah, if they're if they're going to Boyd over and over again, chances are those big plays aren't happening. And the reason that you can play Chase and Higgins together, we keep seeing it from Chase. These explosive plays, it speeds the game up, it puts points on the board instantly, and that's just an easy double stack that's being handed to you as a DFS player is Burrow, Chase, Higgins, throw in Swift or Hawkinson or Amon Ra. Next thing you know, there's only five lineup spots left and you're already looking good. Don't need to worry about decision fatigue. This next one, I mean, unless unless Daniel Jones miraculously recovers from just a brutal concussion, Rams at Giants, but the Rams are 10.5 point favorites on the road, probably as they should be. 47 point game total, which means, if you can't do math, that the Giants aren't going to score any points in this one. I'm pretty uninterested in this one for the most part, just because, I mean, if it's Mike Glennon week, which I think it's at this point, what, 90% chance it's a Mike Glennon week, it's going to be ugly. And I'm personally just going to let everyone play the, the quote-unquote free square Devontae Booker as much as they want. While I'll probably sneak in the, a cheaper piece like a, like a Van Jefferson at 3400 where the game can still suck and Van Jefferson at his price can still get there. Josh, I have some bad news for you about Jonathan Taylor's ownership. <laughs> First play of the game, he took a screen pass 76 yards to the house. You know what? This is perfect. I I love uh, being wrong while still yeah. live on the stream. This is good to know. That's awesome. Jonathan Taylor, Woo! Chalk Week, Week 6. Every, we're the first podcast to break it. In case you were wondering, it is Taylor Chalk Carson Week. Wentz, let's go Colts, baby. Oh, man. All right, I'm assuming you don't have too much to add That's to sick. this Rams-Giants one. No, I mean, they're missing their top quarterback, top running back, and top four wide receivers as of now. So it's it's looking to be Mike Lennon, Evan Ingram, Devontae Booker, CJ Board, and John Ross. Yuck. Yeah, not conducive for a good game environment. <laughs> yeah. Next, uh, this one's another really fun one. Arizona at Cleveland. I've seen it from uh, Cleveland, three-point favorites at home, to just dead even pick them. 54-point game total. There's a lot going on in this one. Probably going to be a popular game too, I would assume. Now that Cleveland just erupted and everyone's like, oh, okay, we're allowed to play Cleveland in DFS again. What do you think about this one? 
Yeah, I'll, I'll probably just I'll still play Beckham. I don't think people are going to play Beckham. He was just so disappointing two weeks ago as the chalk. He was low-owned last week, and he sucked. Uh, and I, I think that you can always play Kyler Stacks because, again, there's so many guys that it really spreads out the ownership. Uh, I think Rondale is more viable than he's ever been, and Hopkins seems renewed and reborn uh, and probably fully healthy. So I'm open to Kyler Hopkins, OBJ. Probably not going to play the running backs for Cleveland this week coming off those massive performances. And I'm also into Chase Edmonds. His role before this week was absolutely elite. Then he was a game-time decision, and his role was the worst it's ever been. I'm going to go ahead and say those things are related, and I'll say that his role gets back up a lot better this week, especially if he gets into full practice. Yeah, I'm the same. I think this is this is going to be a Chase Edmonds week. Almost every week was Chase Edmonds week. I was with you. I, I didn't play any Chase Edmonds this week because game time decision in the late game just wasn't really shaking shaking up to be a great game environment either because we knew there was no Kittle. So it's like Lance's first real start. Do we even think he can compete? Probably not. So I feel like a lot was kind of stacked against playing Edmonds last week. This is a great week to go back to. I'm probably going to get you some nice leverage on the people that are just heavily playing these receivers on the the Cardinal side is little Edmonds Beckham. You can toss those guys in a lineup. Neither is cost prohibitive. Next game, second to last one on the slate, Vegas at Denver. Denver three-point favorites at home, 44 and a half game total. Jacob gave me two thumbs down. I'm giving him two thumbs down back. Not interested. Yeah, this game sucks. Like De- Denver's the worst for, for DFS, especially since they, they lost all their weapons. Like they play slow. They have a good defense. They want to run the ball a million times. They don't throw deep very much anymore after that early start to the season. And the Raiders have stopped being fun. They, like they got Josh Jacobs back and they were like all the stuff that we were doing without Josh Jacobs, it made us a fun offense, like throwing on early downs a bunch and throwing the ball to our exciting young wide receivers, Ruggs and Edwards. They're like, oh, shoot, we have our 4-6 running back return. Now we need to stop being a good offense and just force-feed him the ball for three yards of carry repeatedly. It's so tilting, and the Raiders became so much less fun immediately. You said it well. Yeah, that's a, we can avoid that one. Last game on the slate, uh, I mean, there's going to be people. some people, I'll probably play some Dak. I think everyone's going to. We've got Dallas at New England, Dallas three-and-a-half-point road favorites, 48-point game total. I mean, I'll probably be playing some Dak, but it's going to be tough to be convinced that Mac Jones <clears throat> that Mac Jones is a great play this week. I know he's in the low fives on DraftKings, but we just haven't seen that much of a ceiling yet. The Cowboys' defense better than advertised. Pretty gross receiving options. I think this one's kind of a tough sell outside of maybe some one-off plays on the the Cowboys' end primarily, and Nelson Aguilar. Yeah, well, I always liked Hunter Henry, and I always liked Jacoby Myers, and I never liked Nelson Aguilar. Uh, uh, (laughs) No, I I think uh, I I still think Hunter Henry is a really strong play. I mean, he's like still under 4K, so he's not quite at the mid range. I can justify him if it's correlated with Dallas pieces. I would probably would not play him as a one off unless the salary just fits perfectly. But uh, I'm into Zeke again this week. Uh, into Zeke every week. They keep running for 200 yards a game, so it doesn't even matter that Pollard gets 35% of the opportunities because there's opportunities aplenty. Uh, I don't think I'll play a lot of Dak, to be honest. But I'll tell you what, if you think the New England Patriots defense is actually still good, go turn on the tape and watch Josh Larkey, a.k.a. Davis Mills, absolutely shred them. Uh, that was embarrassing. Yeah, there were all the, the rookie QB narratives, Belichick crushes. And I mean, I bought into it. I think we pretty much all did. And then Davis Mills, like 300 yards, three touchdowns. He, 
the the Patriots nearly lost that game. They were trailing pretty much the whole time. It was yeah, not they're looking 22 good. Twenty-two nine. They should have lost. I I was particularly tilted because as Josh knows, no one loves Will Fuller, aka Billy Needles, more than me. And watching a Houston receiver wearing fifteen break a sixty-seven yard touchdown that I didn't even know existed, while Will Fuller attends to his broken finger on the IR, just made me want to crawl into a hole and cry. You hate to see it. All right, everyone. Thanks for sticking around. We hit the hour and a half mark. I love it. I mean, Jacob and I talked. We knew it was going to be a bigger show than the usual 30-minute first mover. I mean, first guest, Jacob. Times three. Three extra. Yeah, you've been awesome. (laughs) Now, before we, we drop our final hot takes, let the good people know one more time, where can they find your work? Yeah, you can find my work. Where are you finding this work? On playerprofiler.com and throughout Roto Underworld's Enterprise. Find me on Twitter, FF underscore RTDB. And make sure to check Friday as I break down my DFS thoughts, reflections. Uh, I get a lot of the same stuff you got this week, but I'll have some more sort of high-level strategic looks into this coming week slate on Friday. Let's get you guys out of here. So my signature week six hot take disrespectfully priced at 7,000 on DraftKings. Travis Kelsey is just going to feast against this horrendous Washington secondary. Mahomes has a lot to prove after their two and three. And Travis Kelsey is the highest scoring wide receiver or tight end on this slate. I'm here for it. Jacob, get us out of here. Let's hear it. The renewed pass-heavy Cincinnati Bengals get into high gear against the hapless Detroit Lions, and in a battle of the Cats, Joe Burrow throws for over 300 yards and his first ever four-touchdown game.